Good morning. Let's dig right back in. Renovation of the heart, week four. You know, our whole life, every experience you have, whether you are a contributor to that experience, both positively or negatively, or whether you're a victim of that experience, there is a principle in Scripture that God is at work in all those things to bring about good. Doesn't mean the experience itself is good, But if we're willing, God will bring about good in us and through us, through all these circumstances. And that's a really important attitude to have if we are going to experience the level of transformation that we've aspired to in this study. A level of transformation that Paul speaks of in Ephesians 4 as growing in every way into him who is Christ. We've learned as we've looked through these different passages that we have settled for far less in the name of grace. Now, grace abounds. The love of Christ is amazing. But the same grace that accepts us as we are in order that we might become his children is the love and grace of God that pushes us forward into full transformation. And so I think we've laid enough of the groundwork of the doctrine of emotional maturity. Let's lay out this idea today. Let's say it together. My greatest blind spot is the assumption that how I see or experience the world is reality. If I were to take everything that we've talked about in these past weeks, it really boils down to accepting that fact as a starting point for getting real about ourselves and God transforming us deeply. Last week we looked in Genesis chapter 3 and we saw that in the fall, our loss of innocence led to shame, a deep interior knowledge that there's something wrong, which leads us to hiding, pretending, and then when we come close to being discovered, we blame others. That's exactly what Adam and Eve did. And we have been doing that as our default response ever since. Our essential brokenness that that Paul says is the futility of your thinking in Ephesians 4, our default response is right there. And that takes us to Jeremiah 17. Let's say this together. The heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. That's how we're left feeling. It, It can feel a little hopeless, But fortunately, Jeremiah goes on and he says this, but I, God, search the heart and examine the mind. I get to the heart of the human. I get to the root of things. I treat them as they really are, not as they pretend to be. If this is true, and if God is at work, if he's committed to finishing the work that he started, in our salvation, to bringing about this this, uh, wholeness in our lives. If God's committed to it, how do we join him in that work, right? Because that's the whole language of transformation in Ephesians chapter 4. Well, first I want to show you one way that you don't do it. I'm about to show you a video by one of the great sages of my generation, Bob Newhart. Uh, Watch it for a, a few minutes. Uh, Dr. Switzer? Uh, yes, C- come in. I'm just, just washing my hands. Uh, I'm Catherine Bigman. Janet Carlisle referred me. Oh, yes. Uh, still being uh, buried alive in a box. 
Yes, yes, that's me. <laughs> Should I lay down? Oh no, 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 we don't, we don't do that anymore. Just, just have a seat. And uh, let let me uh, tell you a, a bit about our, our billing. I um, I charge five dollars for the for the first five minutes, and and then absolutely nothing after that. How does that sound? That sounds great. <laughs> Too good to be true, as a matter of fact. <laughs> well, I can I can almost guarantee you that that our session won't last the full uh, the full five minutes. Now, um, <laughs> we don't do any insurance billing, so you would either have to pay in in cash or by check. <clears throat> wow. Okay. And uh, and I I don't make change. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and go. <clears throat> Go. Well, tell what? me, tell me about the problem that you wish to address. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. <laughs> I just, I start thinking about being buried alive, and I begin to panic. Has has, has anyone ever ever tried to to bury you alive in a box? No, no, but. Truly, thinking about it does make my life horrible. I mean, I can't go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house, anything boxy. So what, what you're saying is you're, uh, you're claustrophobic. Uh, yes. Yes, that's it. All right. Well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm, uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in into your life. Well, shall I uh, write them down? Well, it, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most we find most people can uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay. Here, here they are. Stop it! <laughs> Stop it? Yes. S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. So, what are you saying? <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. I, I, I say two simple words, and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. <laughs> stop it. So, I should just stop it. There you go. I mean, you... you, you you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that sounds, sounds frightening. <laughs> yes. Then stop it! I can't. I mean, it's been with me no, since childhood. No, no, childhood. no. No, we, 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 we don't go there. Just, just stop. <laughs> so I should just stop being afraid of being buried alive in a box. You got it. Good go. Well, it's only been... It's only been three minutes, so that will be um, uh, three dollars. Uh, I only have a five, so. Well, I, I don't, I don't make change. Then I, I guess I'll take the full five minutes. Fine. All right. Well, what other uh, problems would you, would you like to address? <clears throat> Whew, uh, I'm bulimic. I stick my fingers down my throat. Stop it! <laughs> Don't, don't do that. But I, I'm compelled to. My mom used to call me... No, 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 no. 
No, we, we don't go there. But I've been having this dream. No, we don't go there either. But my horoscope did say... We definitely don't go there. Just, just stop it. What, what, what else? Well, I have self-destructive relationships with men. Stop it! You, you want to be with a man, don't you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, yes. Well, then stop it. <laughs> don't be such a big baby. I wash my hands a lot. That's all right. It is? I, I wash my hands all the time. There's a lot of germs out there. Uh-huh. Yeah, don't, don't, uh, don't worry about that one. I'm afraid to drive. Well, stop it! How, how are you going to get around? Get in the car and drive, you you kook! Stop it! You stop it! You stop it! What's, what's the problem, Kathy? I don't like this. I don't like this therapy at all. You're just telling me to stop it. And, and, you, and you, don't, you don't like that? No, I don't. So you think we're, we're moving too fast, is that it? Yes. Yes, I do. All right, then let me, uh, let me uh, give you ten words that I, I think will uh, clear everything up for you. Uh, you want to you get a pad and a pencil for this one? All right. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. All right, here are the ten words. Stop it or I'll bury you alive in a box! All right. So, if you change Dr. Newhart to Pastor Newhart, there's some truth to how, as Christians, we have gone about talking about change. Just stop it. And you do that to yourself. You you react badly in a situation or something goes wrong, and you go, I'll do better next time. I, I have to stop reacting that way. Stop it. But you're not just going to stop what is your default response just by convincing yourself to. You may get away with that for a while, but eventually it'll it'll come back. We do need a transformation, going deeper, letting God take us on a journey and working with him as he reveals to us things that we're not seeing in our lives. Or if we are seeing them, we're not seeing them clearly enough to understand how important it is that we deal with them. That's what these next few weeks are gonna be about. I know it's unusual to be in a church and have people talk about emotional wholeness and health because the only place we ever hear this is when we go to a psychologist. Psychologists deal with people when they're finally at a point where they're so helpless because of their life circumstances that they're open to going back to these areas in their life that affect them, but they affect all of us. And what we've seen in Scripture is that we ought to pay attention to that. When the Bible talks about renewing our mind, he's talking about our processing, how we go about making decisions and and interact. So he's not just talking about changing what I think, changing your belief system. It's talking about changing how you think. Modern translation for renewing might be reprogramming. And today, I want to take you, first of all, back to the book of Ephesians. 
And I want to uh, look at the verses that precede Ephesians chapter 4. We spent the first two weeks in Ephesians 4, did the first half in week 1, second half in week 2. If you missed those, I'd encourage you to go back on the podcast and listen to them because they do lay the biblical foundation for the ideas we're talking about here. We jumped in halfway through the book. And in the beginning of the book, Paul lays out this incredible context out of which we can then become the people of God, individually mature and then corporately fully mature followers together in Jesus Christ. And at the core of all of it is the gospel. And that's where we ended off last week, that the gospel cures every part of that default response. Very powerful the way we looked at that. So without going back into how the gospel is portrayed beautifully in Ephesians chapters one, two, and three, I'd really encourage you to spend time there maybe on your personal devotions this week and just let the truths that Paul lays out just hit your soul, touch your brokenness, speak to your fears, allow you to just embrace who you are in Christ. Just before Paul now goes into this teaching about becoming fully mature followers of Christ and getting rid of our old ways of thinking, he prays a prayer. And that's what we're going to read. Ephesians 3, I'm going to start at verse 14 till the end of the chapter. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is the area we're going to focus on today. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul makes some very important statements about the impact of God's love in our lives. And what does he say the outcome of it will be? That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What was the goal of our spiritual maturity, that we would grow in every way to the fullness of Christ. You see the link there? Our ability to comprehend, embrace, and apply to ourselves the love of God is key to our growing into the fullness of God and fullness of Christ. And that's what the gospel makes possible. Paul comes at the idea of love three different ways. The first thing he says is that we would be rooted and established in it. The phrase rooted speaks of a tree whose roots are firmly planted. Echoes of Psalm 1, the law of the Lord abides in their hearts and they become firmly rooted and strong against all the storms of life. And then the word established is a building word. I dig down into the love of God. It anchors my life, and it's the basis on which I can build my life. That's the huge difference between the law and grace, between the old covenant and the new, because there's no condemnation 
now for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen to me. Your core wants to constantly bring up your sin, wants to bring up the shame and the guilt. That's the law of sin and shame at work in you. But God has spoken a new law into your hearts, and it will set you free from that law of sin and death. Be rooted in it. Build your life on it. The second way he approaches love, that word grasp means attempt to embrace. This love encompasses everything and is greater than all things. There are so many ways we could look at those four descriptives. How wide is it? It's wide enough to encompass every circumstance in my life. How long is it? It's long enough to last for the whole of my life on into eternity. How high is it? It's high enough that it allows me to enter into God's presence in love and adoration. And how deep is it? God's love is so deep that no difficulty, no desperation, and not even death itself can win. So not only does God's love enable us to build a whole new kind of life without condemnation, without shame, without hiding, without the need to blame. He's saying God's love is so great, it is all-encompassing. God's love cannot be affected by your failures. God's love cannot be diminished. It cannot be increased. It is all-consuming, all-present, all-pervasive and capable in your life. Then he says, and to know this love, and this appears to be a contradiction in term, to know this love that surpasses knowing, that surpasses knowledge. It is so amazing, Paul's saying, I've tried three times to help you understand And even I can't give expression to it, but I want you to know it. So to accept God's love is also an act of faith because we will never fully understand it. And as long as you require yourself to understand and justify God's love, it will never have the power in your life it's meant to. Take it and trust it and experience this love even though it's beyond my comprehension. I love that. And it's only in this context of radical, eternal, unconditional love that has been made possible because of our new birth in Christ that we can learn to go deep, that we can look at ourselves, that we can speak truth in love, that we can grow up into him who is the head, even Christ. Now, what I'm going to introduce to you next is a verse that we will come back to in the weeks ahead to explore different strategies and ways that we can join God in this deep transformation. It's James chapter 1, and it's verse 19. Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. When, when I was going through what I talked about last week, my own season of discovery, when I first really began to see how my need for affirmation found its way into situations and conversations in a way that I wasn't paying attention to because I was only aware of the good I was trying to accomplish. Partly, just knowing that it was there gave me for a season great liberty from it. 
when God reveals a brokenness to you and you're able to name it and admit it, there's a while where just that knowledge brings amazing freedom from it. But that doesn't last forever. So finding the way to join God in working this out, God used this verse. And I began to see it as the exact opposite of our default response to situations. Because of this shame, hiding, and blaming, because of the filters and the hidden intentions, we do the exact opposite of this verse. The first thing we do is react emotionally. The word angry may feel strong there, but it means dissatisfaction, irkedness, frustration. Any kind of reaction to a situation that our default response creates in us. We're bugged by it. We're unsettled by it. We leap to conclusion, and then what's the next thing we do? We open our mouths. I need to fix this. We pontificate, we attack, we fix, we diagnose. And because we've already stated our reality, most often we'd never get to the point of actually listening. Let's assume Vit and I are in a situation. I know it's, it's hard to imagine Vit and I ever having a disagreement, um, but let's just hypothetically, someday it's going to happen. And let's just assume that both Vit and I have done that. Leapt to an emotionally stressed response. We've been quick to anger. And then we've been quick to speak. At that point, we have both established a position. So when we finally do start listening to each other, how are we actually listening? To defend our ground. To show you that my way of thinking is right. So in reality, real listening rarely happens. James says brilliantly, be quick to listen. Think about that. We think of listening as a very passive thing. James seems to indicate it's an active thing because it's our nature to rush to anger and begin speaking and fixing. We need to hurry up and listen first. Otherwise, we will not have real understanding. Be quick to listen. I love Eugene Peterson's translation of this. Let's say together. Post this at all intersections, dear friends. Lead with your ears. Follow up with your tongue. Let anger straggle along in the rear. That's pretty good. Leading with our ears. Now, next week and the week following, we're going to talk about how this dynamic works into speaking the truth in love how to go about speaking into one another's life in a truly redemptive way. Today I'm going to focus on the listening part, leading with our ears. Three ways that we need to become effective listeners, put them on the screen. We need to learn to listen to ourselves, and I'm using the descriptive authentically, get down to what's really going on in our hearts. We need to learn to listen to others, and the descriptive there is willingly. (laughs) We need to learn to listen to God submissively. Now, I'm gonna talk about listening to others next week. Let me, first of all, focus on this listening to ourselves. 
You will never achieve real transformation if you aren't able to hear what's going on in your own head and heart. If you are always so quickly talking or reacting angrily and not paying attention to the dialogue that's going on in your own head. This is what most of us think happens in terms of our reaction to things. I hear something, I see something, and then my brain thinks about it. But this next picture is more like what happens. I hear or see, and that comes into my broken way of thinking and perceiving life, my belief systems, my history, my experiences, my hurts, my dreams, my fear, my sin nature, what I hear goes through all of that. If I find myself in a situation, for instance, that reminds me a lot of a situation in my past that turned out very bad, what happens immediately in my reaction to this situation? I immediately think this is going to turn out that way. So what I hear or see or experience goes into this merry-go-round of responses, and only then does it come into a place where I think I know what it means. If you don't, first of all, learn to acknowledge that that's taking place, and then become aware and learn how to hear that in a way, you will never get free from it. You will never get free from it. This is something that for me is a huge thing because first of all, I'm a verbal processor. Sometimes I don't even know what I'm thinking until I hear it come out of my mouth. (laughs) My first reaction is to begin talking only for the best of intentions, mind you. (laughs) Right away, my mind begins shaping my response and I have had to learn to pause, to sit back, to pay attention to what it is I'm feeling and why I'm feeling it. And I've come to understand that 98% of the time, the fear or the anger or the frustration or the hurt or whatever it is I'm wrestling with is really got nothing to do with what's going on right now. And I have no right to impose all that on the person or the situation that is bringing this up. I've really learned to look at that and go, my emotional feelings right now are totally separate from what's going on here. And I'm very much aware of specific situations as a pastor in my past that come to play when I face certain situations, settings that were very difficult for me. And I'm aware that I I have to check up a little bit. I have to learn. I have to learn to pay attention to what's going on in there and just not really trust it. That's what I mean about listening to yourself authentically. You have to become aware of that voice in your head that you think is speaking truth to you, and it's most often lying to you. We'll spend more time talking about that in the days ahead, but the thing I want to really land on today is learning to listen to God about our hearts, and I want to take you to the 139th Psalm. We'll start by reading verses 23 and 24, which is the closing of the psalm. Search me, O God, and know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, see if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. 
Now, I've referred to this passage several times in our series so far, and in just a moment, I'm going to help you translate this prayer into a prayer of transformation in your life. I'm going to want you to write down the things I'm going to share. This particular section of the psalm begins with, search me, God, and know my heart. Now, go to the first verse of the psalm. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. In fact, the whole psalm is about God's intimate knowledge of him in ways that he finds both joyful and very uncomfortable. Lord, you know more about me than I even know, and part of me loves that, and part of me hates it. The part of me that wants to run and hide, the part of me that's shameful about what you know, he's struggling with this knowledge that God knows everything about him, but ultimately, he surrenders to joining God in that knowledge. That's what this psalm is about. Let's read it. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. The darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake... I am still with you. <laughs> if only you would slay the wicked, O oh God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O oh Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I, I count them my enemies. What's that all about? What, what just happened there? I don't know. You know, that's the thing about Psalms. The Psalms are Holy Spirit-given, but they're honest confessions of things that people are struggling with. The fact that, that David writes this does not mean that his feeling this way is righteous. 
he might be confessing something about his heart that he had to admit God knew. That God knew about this hatred, and he wants to see God bring vengeance on these people. Maybe it was that feeling that led him to have to understand God knows this. He knows everything about me, too. He knows the way I hate God. I don't understand that completely, but I do know ultimately he resolves to join God in that deep knowledge of himself. That's what these two verses are about. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So here's what I want to do. There are four things that David asks of God. Search me, test me, see me, and lead me. And I want to suggest that this can become a prayer for us that begins to join God in this deep understanding of our lives. The first word is search me. And I want to suggest that the prayer that grows out of that is this prayer. God, help me to know my heart as you do. Lord, you have searched me. You know my heart. So I'm joining you there. Search me. Know my heart. God, help me to know my heart as you do. The second thing he says is test me. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Those things that unsettle me. Those things that bring fear to me. Those core wounds and worries. Those things that inform every part of me. The word test there is to prove or to bring out through experience and through experimentation. What we're really saying is use my circumstances to reveal my core fear or wound. I really want to take a moment and speak into this. Use my circumstances to reveal my core fear or wound. God uses the tests in our life to bring about transformation. And every circumstance that you're in is an opportunity for you to discover your core brokenness. Every situation. There are situations that you're completely a victim of. The fact is we contribute to far more situations than we're willing to admit because we speak first rather than listen. But there are situations that we're just victims of and even that situation is an opportunity for you to learn something about yourself. You can hold that up and say, why is this making me feel the way I'm feeling? Why am I reacting the way I'm reacting? Why do I want revenge? Or why am I so fearful? Or why does this make me so anxious? Where is this coming from? Even circumstances that you're a victim of give you an opportunity to sit back and go, what's going on in me? To show my anxious thoughts. And then, of course, most situations that you contribute to, whether you understand it or not, because your hidden intentions are contributing to your response, those in particular give you an opportunity to look at your own actions, your own words, and say, where did that come from? It can't all be this person or this situation. Where is that coming from? And to second guess why you responded the way you did to the the situation. Test me. Lord, use my circumstances to reveal my core fear or wound. Man, if you got in a habit 
of pausing quietly, quick to listen, before you pounce to fix or react, and just paid attention to what's going on in your heart and where it's coming from, that would transform your relationships. That would transform your spiritual growth because there are things that you only see in those moments about your brokenness. Does that make sense to you? The third thing he says is, see me. See if there is any offensive way in me. The word offensive is evil and it speaks of spiritual strongholds in my life or habits. So the prayer there is, Lord, help me see my hurtful habits and idols. The things that I do that are habitual that keep me from tracking after you and being transformed. Lord, help me to see those things and help me to see the idols, the things that are of supreme value to me that compete with my devotion to you. And then finally, he says, lead me in the path everlasting. I'd like to suggest that prayer is, show me the way out of this. (laughs) Show me the way out of this. Look at it. What if we made that the prayer of our mornings and our afternoons, the prayer of our our pauses. Lord, search me. God, help me to know my heart as you do. Test me. Use this circumstance. Use all the circumstances I'll face today to reveal my core needs, my core brokenness. See me. Help me to see the hurtful habits and the idols in my life that are robbing me of you owning and transforming my heart completely. And lead me, show me how to get out of this. Lead me in a path everlasting. More next week. Let's pray together. Father, this is, I believe for some here, new territory in our Christian faith that we would not just be saying, stop it. (laughs) Stop it or else that you graciously call us through a loving relationship into a place where we are safe to admit our brokenness. In fact, to walk directly into that brokenness with you because love abounds and be freed from it. And so, Lord, we pray that prayer. I pray that we would become intentional. We would join you in that process. And I pray, Father, in the weeks ahead as we talk about what it means to be a community where we contribute to that change in one another, I pray that you would protect our body because I know the enemy does not want this. The enemy wants us to stay broken, and he wants us to not have unity. And so, Father, protect our body, even as we boldly go into these areas, because we do want to be formed fully in you, Father. We want everything you want to do in our lives, because that's when you're going to use us to change this city and this world. In Jesus' name, amen.